Everybody, welcome back to the Beyond the Peloton podcast. I've been busy over at We Do uh, doing double daily podcasts throughout this Wealth Espana, but we wanted to take a quick break from that and let Andrew Vons of the Choose the Harbate podcast, who's here as he always is, um, give, his, give his take on what he thinks of this Yumbo Visma disaster slash not disaster slash they saved at the last second slash it's cool Sep is winning. But first, Andrew, do you want to say a quick word about your podcast before we get going? Yeah, for sure. Choose the Hard Way is the podcast about how hard things build stronger humans who have more fun. You're probably one of those humans. So find Choose the Hard Way everywhere you listen. Just search for it. You can also find us at choosethehardway.com and at hardwaypod on social. My guest this week is former world tour writer Pete Stetna. And we get into some territory that Pete has never talked about before. So come, oh, come check it out. Yeah, it's spicy. I'm quite interested. I, it's like that's a perspective I really want to hear. Like top level road cyclist now in gravel. I want the thoughts. Yeah, if you want to hear about being in a hotel room by yourself, like a you know, like a Super Eight equivalent in Europe, eating a bag of carrots to make weight for the team, then come check this podcast out. <laughs> I was someone from stays in a lot of European hotels. I do think their Super Eight is slightly better than our Super Eight. It's slightly so. better, but I mean, we're we're reaching back a little bit. Pete left the World Tour in 2019, I think, was his yeah, last no. year in the World Tour. Yeah, things have progressed I, I would, like big leaps since then. Yeah, I would actually guess salaries are quite a bit higher now for the type of rider that he was. He totally got the short end of the stick there. But just to preface where we are, stage we just finished stage 19 of the Vuelta España. Sepkus is in the lead. Looks like he's going to win it. Jonas Vindigo's teammate, 17 seconds behind. Primoz Roglic, the three-time winner, also their teammate, 108 behind. They did not attack each other on the final climb of yesterday, stage 18, the day before. They were going at it. Sep hung in there, kept the lead by eight seconds. Weird situation all around. We should say Primoz as uh, gave kind of a weird interview after yesterday's stage where he basically said, I don't agree with this. I wanted to, to push Sep all the way to the line and try to take the win. I can kind of see where he's coming from. I think he also owes Sep a lot. I think you also just don't attack your team leader with like two days left in the, the guy wearing the jersey with like two days left in the race probably is the one you should ride for. But also they shouldn't be in this situation. Everyone else stunk it up. <laughs> like this is complicated by the fact that there's no one good here because Remco Evenepoel decided, I just won't ride hard on stage 13. This is Remco's fault. I'm pinning it on Remco. Yumbo didn't plan for that. But Andrew, I, I want to hear your thoughts. I want to let you cook here. You've, you've been firing oh, man. off private, <laughs> private convos all week about this. <laughs> I, Spencer, I feel like this is a setup. Like, what are you walking me into here? I also, you know, you're not going to see this on video, obviously. I want to let you know that when Spencer and I are getting down from beyond the Peloton, the ring light is off. I'm seeing Spencer in his natural element right now uh, <laughs> out there in Boulder. So this is, this is like, this is gritty. This is the real stuff. You're here for it. Let's go. So I was reflecting on the trajectory of this Vuelta, where we started the conversations we had at the beginning. It seemed like the big headline at the outset was can Remco win? That was number one. And the number two, what's going to go on with this, this clown car over at Yumbo Visma? And I say that with the utmost respect. Three of the very best <laughs> yes, wrestlers sir. in the world. Sir Richard Pluge, <laughs> we'd love to have you on the show <laughs> with all utmost respect. Yeah, I, would, I would love to have him on the show. I mean, it, it was just from the outset, it was confusing. So if we think we about this- We are trying to get him on the show. Yeah, I would love yeah, to have him. Right, but like, let's get real here. Let's talk about where were we at three weeks ago. Three weeks ago, 
the question was, can Remco win the Vuelta this year, 2023? And the other big question was like, gosh, what's going on at Yumbo Visma? Because we all know entering this race, Primos was, it seemed to be the designated leader earlier in the season. He skipped the tour. He targeted the Giro, which he won. Then he was going to the Vuelta to win, which made sense because if Primos had won, or if he wins, we don't know if he will actually, the Vuelta in 2023, he he would equal the all-time record of four Vuelta victories. So I think that's just some context. Then if we think, and we're going to get to what's going on at Yumbo Visma here in a minute, then we get into the race and we went from, there was a lot of Remco hating out there and you know, the four to eight weeks prior to the race while he was the boy from the volcano, you know, and he went on a hearts and minds press tour. He went on Garrett Thomas's podcast where they called him, uh, the little bastard. That's their nickname for him. But (laughs) you know, (laughs) yeah, but like he, you know, he seemed to take the ribbing really well and he, he was trying to change his public image, which let's face it was not a fantastic one prior to that interview, then he goes on Lantern Rouge podcast. And it was just amazing to me, people I know who follow the sport, suddenly the opinion that they've had of Remco for the last two years, 180. Big Remco fans. Oh, Remco's amazing. He's a great guy. He's uh, he's much more strategic and thoughtful writer than we thought he was. You know, big fans going into the race. Then Remco explodes spectacularly. He loses 30 minutes and then all the Remco haters came back out on the X or the Twitter, whatever you want to call it. I don't know what's going on over at Mastodon where all the, all the cycling journalists herded over to a couple of months back, haven't checked in on my Mastodon feed in a while, but you know, Remco was just getting completely trashed. Then the news becomes Sep gets into the red Jersey. Amazing. Sep, a very dedicated support writer, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago in March. Sep, I think he told Velo News, I have no ambition of winning a grand tour. I really like my job. I'm great at it. This suits me. This is what I want to do. Fast forward during the tour, Sep says, you know what? Actually, I'd like to have a shot at leading and winning a grand tour. Hmm. Those are really different things. Well, so, what's funny is I in March, I also thought the same thing. I thought don't go for like, no, don't, you're not a grand tour rider. Right. And then during the tour, I did start to think maybe these GC coos things aren't crazy. Cause he was, he was going to finish, I think top six at the tour before his crash on stage 20. Yeah. Don't go chasing waterfalls, stick to the rivers and streams. And you know, as an American cycling fan, of course I want to see an American win a grand tour. That would be fantastic. I wanted TJ Van Garderen to win a grand tour back in the day. And sure. I wanted to see Sep win a grand tour. All right, fast forward. We've got Sep in the red jersey. Oh my gosh, it's amazing. Suddenly all the GC Coos fans come out. I'm I'm all about it. I want him to win as well. Then we get to these controversial moments where we have Primos and Jonas doing things that you should not do if you're riding in support of a teammate who's supposed to be leading the race. We all know what they are. And at first... People were struggling to understand what's happening. Then the knives came out when Primos attacked hard. And then Jonas, 
came very close to taking the GC. So everybody listening to this, I'm assuming knows this context. And then again, Twitter went nuts. People were just annihilating Primos. Primos gave a couple of very strange interviews and, you know, I like, gosh, it's hard to think of anyone in professional cycling in the modern era being more vilified, more universally than Primoz Roglic for a couple of days this week. And it did seem, it seemed extremely unjust. It seemed like he had betrayed Sep. And then there were kind of questions about like, what was Jonas doing? But then that kind of reeled back. Um, but I think what wasn't getting discussed, and I think it is being discussed a bit more in the past 24 hours, is we have no idea what are the conversations that team management had with Primos at the beginning of this season, number one. Number two, what was Primos's understanding of his role in the team going into the Vuelta and what was his understanding of his role in the team at the point at which both Jonas and Sepp announced that they were going to be going to the Vuelta, which was just a couple of weeks prior to the race. It was before we also, stage 20 of the tour. Okay. I, I don't, I bet Primoz didn't, I bet he just looked at his phone and thought, oh, excuse me, now what is happening here? Right. Like, this is not what I was told. Yeah. Okay. So we get to the race. If you're Primos, and I'm not, I'm not making a moral judgment about Primos, although many, many have in, uh, in a very high volume fashion on the internet about whether what he's done this week is right or wrong. All I'm saying is let's consider some of the facts, a few of which I've shared. Another thing to think about is uh, Primos is 34, correct? 33. He's 33. We'll be, okay. We'll be 34 next season. Yeah. Probably I mean, his he, last year. Yeah. He might, right. He might as well be 70 and cycling 2.0. <laughs> I mean, Garrett Thomas is basically, dead. yeah. Garrett Thomas is basically Yoda. He's like a thousand years old. <laughs> right. And I'm so glad that he's, he's off leash and just kind of letting it rip over on his podcast, which I, I really enjoy. I'd love to interview he's, him one day as well. His pre-stage interviews are really good. It's just yeah, like it's just legitimately good input on the race that he's competing in. Yeah, it's amazing. And his podcast, if you're not listening to it, you absolutely should be. It's very interesting and somewhat bizarre to hear someone inside of the race telling you exactly what's happening, what he thinks of his team, team management, what the team's Which doing. Which is like other no races. regard for yeah. what anyone thinks about him. Yeah, doesn't give two flying apps. Anyhow... So if you're Primos, you're going into this race, certain things have probably been promised to you. And there's a matter, number one, of legacy. Primos is a killer. So is Jonas. Sepp, I think, is getting a taste for being a killer in yeah. this race, right? He's gotten- Human meat, gotten, he, can't be, <laughs> he can't go back at this point. He's gotten a taste for it. Uh, and now he's, he just wants more of it. So that's this is the mentality of- of these athletes. These are two of the very best athletes in the world at what is one of the very hardest sports in the world. And I also want everyone to consider that Primos is getting a microphone stuck in his face within seconds of, of putting out, you know, four to six hours of superhuman effort that, and then being asked like, Hey, what do you think about this? And full Granted, of disappointment, nothing but yeah. disappointment in his, in his veins at that point. Hey, yeah. What do you think? Yeah. And 
again, I'm not saying any of this is right or wrong. I'm just saying like, let's take a look at the facts here. So there's the legacy component. If you're Primos, you're going into this race, you're probably thinking, number one, the team's probably promised you things that we're not privy to because we're not actually inside of the team. All we're hearing is what's being leaked or what's coming through the filter of the various writers, team staff, what have you. <laughs> the, the Yumbo, uh, the Yumbo Twitter account, which I mean, that is that's it's highly problematic how they've communicated around this as a communications professional, like, wow, not a very good job on this one, I would say. Uh, opportunity for improvement. And I also want to give them some grace because what a tough situation to be in. And they're also having to think on the fly and deal with what's definitely a crisis for the team. So the team is without a sponsor at currently, right? Like they haven't secured a sponsor for 2024. They, we- they So Yumbo is going to sponsor them for 2024. Okay. They okay. need to find a sponsor for 2025. Got it. All right. All right. So shows you what I know. I'm not doing this all day, every day. Um, but anyhow, Primos, there's the legacy question. He wants the fourth win. Who wouldn't? Can we think of another Grand Tour writer who's about to set or equal a record who wouldn't want to get that that win regardless of what's going on with their coworker whose job to date has been to support them? Number two, Primos, I would say, I think he's probably known for a while. He's going to a different team next year. And I mean, I'm starting to see this, this now, so this doesn't sound like a particularly astute or insightful thing to share probably, but Spencer, you and I have been talking for a while about Primos is going to another team. I can almost guarantee he's going to another team. Also, if I'm Primos, I'm probably thinking I should have been the guy who's getting a shot at winning the Tour de France. He came so close when Tade yanked it from him uh, in that time trial in 2020. And here we are a couple of years later, he hasn't had a swing he can't do it. Sure, he's handsomely compensated, but I think he wants more. And I have to think he's probably feeling a bit bitter that he never got a bite of that apple again and has kind of been in this super domestique role at the tour until this year. When I'm imagining he was thinking, great, Giro, add that to my Palmares. And now I want to get the equal, the all-time record of Welto wins for my legacy. And because he's entering the transfer market and is going to another team, I have to think that winning two grand tours in one year is probably going to make your price tag go up a little bit. And yeah, I don't and know. If- I think it's a, it's pretty big deal to win the zero and the Vuelta in the same year. I think Contador in 2008 is the last rider to do that. It's not common. Yeah. I mean, to be on the same level as the Pistolero, not few. <laughs> I, I have mixed feelings about that. Uh, I, they were showing that celebration. I'm like, I don't know if in 2023, how <laughs> I feel about yeah, this man I, just shooting someone on the finish line. <laughs> I don't, I don't think you bring up the, uh, yeah, the pistol yeah, of that, keep that in the that, holster. Yeah. The time may have passed for that. So these are my general thoughts that if I'm putting myself in Primos's shoes, just perhaps give him a bit of grace to summarize. We don't know what the team promised him. I'm sure he has legacy on his mind. He's a highly trained professional athlete who's among the best in the world at what he does and he wants to win. And the third component here is financial. As he's entering the transfer market, he wants to maximize his own value and the way to do that would have been to win this race. Does it look really bad and does he look like a complete asshole? Yeah, I I think that's the read that a lot of people have. And... Sep, it looks like, is now going to win the race. Primos has grudgingly gotten in line. He clearly doesn't want to be doing this. And is, I mean, he's pretty much, he's keeps making these 
somewhat difficult to read yet totally clear statements about what he would like to be doing in this race. And so I just think it's, it's a gnarly situation all around and also one that would have been very avoidable. I think the other thing that I would throw out here, and again, I don't have any real inside information about this. I'm just observing what's going on from afar. In addition to Primo's probably feeling a bit bitter about the trajectory of his career because he never got another shot at winning the Tour de France, I have to imagine there's some animus between Primos and Jonas. And I wonder if Jonas is, Jonas is, you know, he comes out of this looking like the good guy. And yeah. he also, right? Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. And he's yeah. the one who almost won the race. I mean, that yeah. is yeah. kind of the that, funny part. Like, wow, like that's, that's kind of weird. Like, so he almost won the race. He also, you know, he just has like dropped his sword, laid his weapons down and said, no, I'm, I'm not going to attack. But he kind of pointedly moved into that role of, yeah, I'm actually going to pace Sep and Primos looks like the bad guy now. And I wonder if there's some intentionality behind that action and if there's a lot of animus between these two writers and if we're going to find out about it later. And then I I think, oh, go ahead. Yeah, no, go ahead, Spencer. That's I was going to say, I don't know. Like, I think they don't like each other personally. That's just, that's just me observing them. Yeah. I think let's just assume though they're fine. They, let's say say they get along. They cannot coexist because they are the two, I would say they're two of the three best Grand Tour riders in the world. And they yeah. should both be contesting the Tour de France. I think this was Primoz's best Vuelta, oddly, because he didn't win it. He got third. But I think this is his best Vuelta, most complete Vuelta, his best time trialing and climbing performances. He wins the hardest stage, hardest mountain climbing stage of the race. Lantern Rouge says he can't climb. He's not a good climber. On long climbs, well, he just won on a 45-minute climb and almost set the all-time record. So pretty good. I think the guy's flying, and I think he should be contesting the Tour next year. So it makes complete sense that they have to consciously uncouple, as Gwyneth Paltrow would say. They cannot be on the same team next year. That makes zero sense. And even if they get along, if they're best friends, I think that's too awkward and it's too tense. Yeah, so I think the question now is, where does he go and you know, what do we make of what's to come next? And he did kind of get screwed over here because he never got to unleash the beast. Like Jonas was getting to attack on all these stages and like stage 16 and Jonas's defense, he didn't mean to take that much time. If everyone sucks. Oops. Sorry, guys. I rode away because UAE is too dumb to know that they should chase with four riders as opposed to send one to sit 15 seconds behind me, have one guy at the back, one guy attacking the group to slow it down. Like if that's a competent team, it's a 15 second advantage. So Jonas, the whole thing got complicated by the fact that no one, and I, I'm kind of kidding, but I'm just mean at the, holding them to a very high standard, no one else at this race is very good in a GC sense. And Remco just, again, decided, I will say it again, just decided stage 13, this is pretty hard. I'll just sit up. That's what Sepkus was up the road to do to put pressure on Remco. They blew him up too early. Primo's never got to go hard. He thought he was the leader and then, oops, you're not the leader. And I'm sure he thought on stage 17, this is the hardest climb in the race. Let's go. Whoever wins, wins. And then that's how it should be. I can, I could understand thinking that. I think probably management should have said before, like, sorry, Primo's, you can win the stage, but we really can't have you ripping the leader's jersey off your loyal domestiques back. Not the best PR move, but they, they came in the next day. I mean, so Primo said in his interview after 18 that, Basically, he said, without naming names, that Richard Pluga came in and told him that 
Sepp's going to win this race and that he has to, that's how it's going to be. And, you know, you could take issue with the way he said it and the way he rode, but he's not attacking him, at least not yet. So he, he's, he's following orders. He's not doing anything wrong once, once the ground rules were set. And he was supposed to come into this race. I still don't understand, Andrew. Why is Jonas here? Does that make a lot of sense to you? Like, did he walk off the team bus on stage 20 of the tour and just in his mind think, I'm going to the Vuelta, baby, and say that? And then they had to kind of accommodate it after he said it? I have to think that it's to spite Primos. That's it's kind of what it feels like. Yeah. yeah that, this is a vibe that I get. And I know you've got to bounce, Spencer. Something I wanted to get in here before you do, though, is... I'm not a cynic at all about professional cycling or sport in general. I love it. I think it's an, one of the most important parts of culture and life. I think sport is amazing. I, I'm not a cynic. I will say I'm a realist. So, and I think in general, there's a fantasy in popular culture that sport exists in this, uh, this rarefied realm and, uh, that it's it's a more just and fair thing than life itself. So I think part of why people got so mad about what happened this week because of their perception of what happened is that what they saw are some of the things that happened, you know, that like happen to people at their jobs or in their relationships, people they trust, you know, it, with some periodicity might betray them. People might lie to them. Uh, their boss might not always tell them the truth. They might think one thing is happening and something else is happening. And when they're watching sport, they want to think that they're consuming something that exists in a fantasy world where these types of things don't happen. Like just reading some of the coverage and things that people are writing about pro cycling, it's almost like they're, uh, these are like cartoon characters or like inanimate objects without feelings that are just arranged for our pleasure. And it's like, no, these are actually human beings and the people that are being eviscerated within the world of professional sports. So publicly on the internet this week, you know, they're humans with feelings doing their very best and whether they're doing the right thing or not is something that we can certainly have a debate about, but it's just wild to me, the conclusions people jump to about Primos and the things that they felt comfortable saying publicly about him and just like piling on without perhaps truly understanding the context of what's going on here. Well, it always amuses me that, you know, you never want to see someone get cut, but like, you know, you watch hard, what do you call it? Hard C? Hard knocks? <laughs> hard knocks to the head or whatever. <laughs> you got hard, hard pre-concussion um, overtime issues. But you know, it's like, oh, so-and-so got cut, cut day. It's so sad. But it's like, but that means someone else made the team. Like that's, it's sad on one end, but it's, it's happy for someone else. In sports, there's usually a finite amount of spoils. And if someone is benched, it means someone else is starting and getting a chance to shine. So there's positive, and there's also, and I, I don't think Primo's, and especially Jonas should have dropped Sep on stage 17. I want to make that clear. I agree. I that was yeah, I'm with you. Not good, but you know, and I don't want to defend, just like be defending Primo's this whole show, but in his defense, he probably feels a little betrayed by Yumbo and his teammates as well. Like, Sepkus, you were supposed to come here and help me win. And that's what your job is on this team. That's what you're paid to do. And now you're taking my job. And I, you're only taking it because I let you get three minutes in a breakaway on stage six. So 
I'm sure there's feelings of betrayal going going both ways here. Yeah, absolutely. And also, if we think about a superordinate factor here, which is sports also is ultimately an entertainment product. Wow, the world has never paid more attention to Volta than they did than they did this week. And it is not true that all publicity is good publicity, but I think it's good to have more eyes on what's happening and to highlight just the drama and the intensity of what happens within this sport. So I wish that Unchained, the Unchained documentary crew I know. had been at the Vuelta because, wow, what a story we have here. And we don't have time to get into this, but how happy is Wout that he's not within the blast radius of what's happening And right he looks now. pretty dang good <laughs> for gifting getting Wevel getting away right now. But remember how much shit he took for that? Yeah. You know, it does go... if. So he gives a race to a teammate and then he's the bad guy because he's disrespecting the race. It's like they probably feel like they can't win at all. Yeah, totally. And I'm probably going to get this wrong. I think it was Paris Nice, uh, Perry Nice 2021 when Primos didn't give someone the stage win. And then his post-race interview was famously, hey, there are no gifts in in pro cycling. (laughs) Which I totally agree with him there. But also that guy wasn't his teammate. So hey, if it's not I, your not, teammate, you should not be gifting yeah. anyone wins. I yeah. Think. If if people Yeah, I agree with you. I'm not apologizing for Primos's actions. I'm just saying, hey, let's let's consider some context that might be missing from this conversation. And like, yeah, I'm a huge Subcoos supporter. I love GC Coos. I'm very excited that he's gonna win this. And I really want to see him have the chance to shine. And then part of me also wonders. Gosh, what dilemma arises from this once we get well, into the 2024 season? You think Primos isn't, first of all, so just before we get into that, so stage 15, after stage 15, going to the rest day, I almost wanted to do an episode called, it was supposed to be El Clasico, this is El Crapico, because we're just going to have a team ride defensively for the final week and defend their podium place like we saw with Sky, right? And that sucked. That was like seven terrible years of watching racing, just a super negative team-controlled riding. How much more fun has this been than that? So we should be thankful to Yumbo for that. But you think you think Primoz is in the transfer market? I think he's I think he's all but signed with Ineos. I think there's one team that can afford him. You know, he's two years left on his deal, probably four million euros a year. I think Ineos, I'm looking at their roster for next year, currently is 15 riders in a contract, zero riders that could probably podium a single one of the sports grand tours. That's not acceptable for a team of that caliber and with an owner who owns sporting assets to show off. He, he needs Primos. Primos needs to be on that team. He's the only rider they can get right now that could feasibly even challenge for the Tour de France title next year. I think I think in November we're doing an emergency podcast saying Primos to Ineos. It just seems like it has to happen. Well, hit the brakes, Jake. What about Ripco? What's going on with Ripco and Ineos? Yeah, well, that, that gets even weirder because Ineos, not moving forward at all, appears set for a merger. Quickstep just keeps signing riders, 29 riders in a contract. So how does that merger work? Or is Lefebvre, or is one hand, is Lefebvre saying, okay, you're telling me a merger is happening, but what if it doesn't? Right. I still need a team. I don't want to be left out in the cold. So I'm just going to fill the team up. And then if it merges, we'll deal with it later. But it is weird to me that Quickstep seems to be building out a full roster for next year. And Ineos is not. 
and Ineos really wants Remco, obviously Remco and Primo's on the same team could present some issues. But if you're Primo's, are you thinking, does it present issues? Because is this man that I've been crushing in the overall for two and a half weeks really a Grand Tour rider? There's a non-zero chance that we see Primos end up in a Sagan situation and he goes to total energy. Oh, that's so, that would be, man. That, It'd be so sad, but it could happen. So it could happen. It could happen. It could and happen. Sagan, Sagan made it, Bora was a small team. Bora was a second division team when Sagan yeah. went and he brought his buddies and did well. I mean, yeah, it's like, but is Ineos that team, Andrew? Like, is Ineos the new Bora? They only have 15 riders. Is oh, it Primo? Wow. Six of his buddies and a couple of his friends as his masseuse. I mean, I, this team is, you would not say one of the dominant teams. I actually thought it was crazy that leading up Filippo Ghana, and I loved watching it, is really the, their only option left to get a stage win at this race. I mean, that is, that is hard to comprehend how far they've fallen. So they, they, need, they need to shake something up. Maybe they want both Primos and Remco. Maybe Remco, Primos thinks I can beat Remco at the Tour. This is not going to be a problem. Um, he can win every one-day race from here and now until forever and every stage at every race, but I will win the overall. I, I don't know. I would imagine that he has to go somewhere at this point because you're right. It can't be Coos, Vindigo, and Roglic all racing Grand Tours again together, I would imagine. And I like. let's say that... So Coos is going to stick with Yumbo. So what is Coos going to go for the Giro GC next year and then roll into being a support rider at the tour? Will that require any, I mean, you have to think that's going to take greater effort than he put out being a support rider at the Giro this year for Primos, right? Yeah. I mean, it seems hard at this point if he wins, assuming he wins this race that they don't just pick the least time trial heavy route of the Giro and the vault and make him a leader there. I guess, yeah, if he leads the Giro, does that hurt his ability to help with the tour? But I, I kind of wonder, is he going to the tour as a co-leader? But Jonas isn't going to be too happy about that. And he performs really valuable work. Like he can't be getting on the front. at the Like he lost time on stage three because he was pulling. Right. And he was keeping a really high pace. He pulls off. Like that's not going to work if he's second leader. But I don't know, actually. It is, there, it is, it is a tricky situation. But they also have... Like Matteo Jorgensen coming in, you know, guys that are really, really talented that I think they will just be parking on the front and trying to maybe replace Sepkus some of his work. But God, I don't know. It's not a great, it's a champagne problem, but it is a problem. Like, how do you fit this now that the jack is out of the box? How, how do you deal with this? Like, how, what's the team look like at the tour next year? Does Wout go to Quick Step? I'm just going to throw that out there too. No, <laughs> no, <laughs> I don't think so. That would be, what would he be gaining by that? Because they're weaker in the classics, but I guess he would get the tour to himself. But no, because he'd have to work for Remco. I don't think so. I don't think that could work. Him and Remco. He's not going to work for Remco because Remco's going to Enios. So what if they built the team entirely oriented around Wout and Wout's personal aspirations? I don't know. That's kind of fascinating, actually. Well, God, Wout is so important to Yumbo. It's hard to imagine there being a number that they wouldn't throw out to keep him because he is a key part of Jonas's Tour de France win. But man, yeah, just for his career, just for winning, that actually is not a terrible idea. If Remco leaves Quickstep, go to Quickstep. It's, it's now Quick Wout 
you know, it's like the Tom Boonin situation where it's just a team built around you winning and being awesome and rack up some monument wins. I don't know. I kind of like that idea, actually. Huh. Stay I don't see tuned. it happening. But Stay tuned. You heard it here it first. Well, thanks, Andrew. And I mean, we'll be tomorrow is actually kind of a tricky stage at the Volta. It's harder than I thought, like 15,000 feet of climbing, 10 categorized climbs, climbs start to finish. Assuming Sepp gets through that, I'm excited for him to win. Um, but we'll be back on next week to talk about you know, what actually happens at the end of this race. Can't wait. 